mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bible with me to John chapter 1. We've been going through the gospel according to John. As I've repeated, and I like to repeat myself, when you see the name John in the gospel of John, it's not John the author. It's John the baptizer. In the book of John, the gospel according to John, his testimony, he always says, of himself, the one Jesus loved. And that's when he's referring to himself. John means uh, God's gracious gift or Jehovah's gracious gift. It comes from the Hebrew Jonathan, Jehovah has graced or given. And we see that through grace, Jesus is given. And so in the book of John, we have this great theme that we can play on, which is the grace of God, the gracious gift of God that he's given to us. And we see this testimony. Now, we've concluded our introduction. Many people believe that the introduction was added a few years later. I don't know that. Don't mind that. I'm okay if that's not even uh, part of this. But we had an introduction of John uh, introducing us to the genealogy of Jesus in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Word come to earth and took flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And now we're going to move on to three days of testimony, if you will. Three days of testimony, because John is like a spiritual courtroom, there's witnesses giving witness and signs of everything that Jesus did. It's, it's not like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are the synoptic gospels, but this is written 35 years later after John has had a chance to reflect and has come back from the Isle of Patmos, and he's already had the vision and he's, uh, that was on the Isle of Patmos, and now he's writing a gospel of a testimony of the things that happened when Jesus was with them. So our review is over, and then we're going to see in verse 19 today, 29 and 35, three days of witnesses. Listen, and it's kind of it's like three days of witnesses that you and I have to give in this grand courtroom because all of us become like the grace of God. We're saved by grace through faith that not of ourselves, that is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. But as we go out, we don't go out to honor ourselves. We go out to boast in the Lord and to witness for the Lord and to become a voice in the wilderness crying out to others, make straight the way of the Lord. We're going to go out and help others get to Jesus. 
We're going to go out and serve them and remove things out of their path so that they can have a straight and narrow path to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and then come to Jesus. And you're going to see this. John is not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. John is the forerunner. And, you know, I don't know if you remember who the forerunner was in your life. Who was the forerunner? Who was the person that made the path straight so you went, wow. And you've seen that Jesus is Lord, that the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and brings salvation into your life. We have to understand these things because these are types, if you will, testimonies, if you want, in this courtroom of what you and I should be doing in life. And we have it written down on the pages of Scripture. And I want you to take note of this because in this book, more than ever, I would say, you have to understand, this is not just words on a page. We're talking about the living word, the logos of God. We're talking about the the gospel, the truth, what saves man's soul. And that's the only ministry we have is the salvation of souls, ours first and then others. But you don't even know that when you're dead in your trespasses. But now that you know it, You should be concerned about your own sanctification and others, their soul. But these are not just words on a paper. This is John's testimony. He was there. And we're going to see that as we enter into these few verses. We'll understand the spiritual battle that is before us that the enemy does not want us to carry out. And that is to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That is our command. That is what we're our marching orders. And this is what we see uh, as we open up John 1, 19. Let's read. Now, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now those who were sent from the Pharisees, excuse me, and now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Beth Berah, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of the soul. That we would see the example of the testimony witness of John, the baptizer, and we would follow it. Pour out your spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. 119. Now, this is the testimony of John. In fact, it says in the King James, this is the record of John. 
This is the record of the grace of God, God's great gift. Again, we have John uh, as Jehovah's gracious gift. The record of the grace of God when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? We're in a grand courtroom, a spiritual courtroom. Judgment in the last day will be made. And if the blood of Jesus is not on your heart's door, if you have not believed, pistio, trusted with your, your heart, your spiritual well-being into Christ, you will be cast into hell. It's that simple. But if you believe, then you're going to have eternity with God. But the gavel will come down. We're in this courtroom. You have to be able to see it in a spiritual realm that all of us are being judged by how we live in the body. We're given 70, 80 years. Poetically, the Psalms tells us, some younger, some older, to make a free will decision on whether we are going to follow Jesus, believe God's testimony, which he's given us in these 66 books by 40 authors, or continue in our own esteem, our own way, and put our hand in God's face and say no. And the fool has said no to God. The fool has said no to God. What say you? The testimony, the record of John, of, uh, of what he was given... The, it's Martyria. Uh, the Martyria uh, is his report, his witness, his evidence given is the main thing that this record is. And I want you to see the, 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 what's going on. There's the defense, there's evidence, there's testimony. And we clearly see that there's a courtroom. We're getting ready to see a cross-examination of John. And what's John doing? He's in the wilderness. John's saying, repent and be baptized. The, the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's, 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 he's baptizing people. Everybody's going to him out at the River Jordan. He's baptizing thousands of people. And what do they do? They say, we better send a delegation and find out what's going on because we're all looking for the Messiah. Is this guy the Messiah? See, the grace of God comes before the Messiah. You and I bring the grace of God to other people in our witness and our testimony. We come and declare grace to them. We show them grace in our lives as, we, as we're vessels of His mercy and grace to others. And we go to them and we overlook their transgressions. We overlook what's going on in their life in order to get the truth to them. We've got to understand that it's a spiritual realm. It's a spiritual battle. It's not flesh and blood. But look what's going on in the world today. The whole church is caught up in a political race. The whole church is caught up in a physical battle. The whole church, and I don't mean emphatically, is caught up in what's going on on their TVs and every place else, and they're forgetting about the mandate of the souls of mankind. What we're called to do. Don't get it caught up in a physical when it's spiritual. Oh, yeah, but I, you know what? I, I'm still being spiritual. I just think that we have a right to fight physically. Paul says don't count anything as physical anymore. We understand that there's a spiritual realm. There's a spiritual God. We're part of a spiritual kingdom. We have a spirit guide leading us. Not a spirit guide like, like spirit... Uh, 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 false Scientology or something would teach, or some type of shamanism, but we have the Spirit guiding us, leading us, as He takes us through the Word of God. I had to explain that because I said that in a context that sounded differently, 
and spirit guides are evil. They're from the devil. Listen to me. So now in that courtroom, you have the testimony of John the baptizer. When the Jews, that's those of the Jewish nation, it's probably the Sanhedrin, uh, which is the ruling council made up of 70 people, Pharisees and Sadducees. We see it's the Pharisees, but it's probably them who are interested in it because the Pharisees, they, they were the separatists of the day. They were the legalists of the day. They were the ones that tried to follow the whole Bible. They believed in resurrection. They believed in angels. But the Sadducees, they were more like a mafia party. All they cared about was making money and having power and t- controlling the people. And, and they're so apostate. Does it remind you of anything that we're looking at today? And they're so apostate. Does it remind you of two political parties that we see in America today? It does me. It reminds me completely of the falsehood of our American government when we're supposed to be as a church, as a people who know the truth, are following the Spirit of God underneath the leading of the Spirit, underneath the leading of God, a theocracy. We obey the laws of the land, but we don't get caught up in their battles. We're here for souls. We're not here to make the economy run better. If that happens while we obey God and while we follow them, then good. If our societies get better because we're living and being a good witness, great. But that's not the mandate. The mandate is souls. And so what they want to do is attack us, and then quite naturally in the flesh, we want to go back at them. So now you are going to go down. We're going to get the Republicans back in. Forget about you Democrats. You're all evil. You want to kill babies and kill people. And we get caught up in this physical battle, which is from the pit of hell. It's the pit of hell. Because our victory's already won. We're not fighting anymore. We're learning how to surrender to the work of God and do the will of God by the Spirit of God. There's no fight anymore. Jesus won the victory on the cross. So why are we out there fighting? Why would we think we need to fight back? We're called to stand, histomai, to abide and continue and remain. And as we decrease, Christ increases. And then we hand out that grace and mercy to others. We hand out the spoils of the storehouse in heaven because we've been meeting with the God of heaven and earth. Not fighting in the flesh. Not considering our spouse to be the enemy. Not considering our boss to be the enemy. But looking at the soul of mankind. Not trying to make a name for ourselves and honoring one another, making grand introductions of people who are speaking, sending out great books and manuscripts and saying, oh, I want to introduce to you these people and that people, and look at this new book that they've written, and let's send them on a circuit and honor them. Let them speak in all the churches. What nonsense is this? that we do, merchandising the church and honoring men instead of lifting up Christ. And then we say, why is it perilous times? Well, because we've become apostate the same way the nation of Israel did. What happened in the nation of Israel? Well, one came crying in the wilderness. He was separated from all the rest. He was truly separated because he was meeting with the Lord. When you see what he says, when you see the evidence given, when you see the testimony that he declares, when you see the way he lives his life, you will see that he has been meeting with the Lord. He's not been listening to man. He's not echoing man's talking points. 
He's not out there fighting with talking points from Fox News or CNN or any of this nonsense. He's out there sharing the truth of God's word because that's the only thing that will pierce the hard heart of mankind and save souls. So this is his record. This is his evidence given when he was questioned. And when the Jews came, the Sanhedrin, 70 leaders held, uh, led by the high priest who, listen, you're going to see in the book of John at least twice, we're told that Caiaphas and Annas is the high priest. What? There's only one high priest. Yet because they're under Roman rule, they took the true high priest out and put in their mafia boss that would listen to Rome. Now we have a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, Jesus the Christ. He's our high priest. He made a new and living way. The veil was written. We can now enter into the throne room. We can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Is this a time of need? Is this perilous times? Yes. Are you entering into the throne room? Are you coming before God? See, look at this. This is going to show what John the Baptist, his witness, shows far more than what you could ever imagine. He's been in the wilderness meeting with God. He's been given instruction. He's been told what to do. He's been given answers for everything that he's doing. And all he's called to do is be a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And that's what the church is called to do. To be a voice, not to be famous, not to be honored, not to be lifted up, not to worry about what people say about us, but to deliver Jesus to Christ to others so that their soul can be saved. And it says it's the priest and the Levites. Now, uh, they're from Jerusalem, which I believe means teaching peace. And they ask him, who are you? Now, now remember, John is a Levite. If you go back to Luke chapter 1, about verse 5 or something like that, you're going to see that Zacharias, the tribe of, tribe of Abijah, he's a Levite. But then his mom, Elizabeth, is from Aaron's tribe, from the high priest's tribe, because you couldn't be a high priest unless you're from the tribe of Aaron. So here's these guys coming, and here's John in the wilderness. He's separated from all of them. He could have been where they're at, but he's not because God has called him out from even the religious system that is apostate, that is not following God, but has made up their own rules, their own clothing, their own dress codes, their own buildings, everything that has to do with honoring one another and at the same time dishonoring God because it becomes a religious earthly system that has nothing to do with the Spirit of God except rejecting it and saying no to God. So here's this testimony. They ask him, who are you? Let me ask you this today. Who are you? Oh, my goodness. Listen to me. We're the church of Jesus Christ. Who are you? Do you know your identity? Do you know who you are positionally? Do you know who you are practically? Do you know who you're going to be when you're glorified and you see him face to face? See, this is the way we're supposed to be walking. We should be ready to give an answer. Sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart and be ready to give a defense or an answer for the hope that is within you. 1 Peter 3.15, I think. Can you answer who you are? Are you ashamed of the gospel? The only message we've been given to give is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the death, burial, and resurrection. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. Do you know who you are? If somebody asks you, who are you? Have you been asked that question before? Oh, I've been asked you. Who do you think you are? And you know who usually asks it? And what our culture is doing now is we're preaching sociology everywhere, the study of humankind instead of the creator of mankind. We're teaching what it looks like, what it feels like, what it looks like in this box, what people normally do over here instead of teaching what God said is the truth. We're teaching human wisdom, earthly, central, demonic wisdom. We're teaching a lot of things instead of just sticking to the Word of God, which is the only thing, again, that can penetrate a hard heart. Is your heart hard today? Are you mad at somebody? You've been betrayed? Everybody has. Everybody has. We're all in the same place. But can you answer? How many years have you been in church? Can you answer? Who are you? Do you know your position in Christ? That you've been set free from the penalty, from the power of sin. And now, by practicality, he's removing the practice of sin. And one day, he's going to take you home to be with him. Maybe today. But you're free. You want to talk about freedom? It's not talking about, listen, I am as much a patriot or, or whatever you want to call it in America. This is the greatest country God ever allowed to be created. But I am not following American culturanity. I'm following Jesus. You are not called to follow the Constitution. You're called to follow Jesus. And if the Constitution lines up, so be it. But if it doesn't, you keep following Jesus, no matter who's in power, because our power comes from the throne room. And again, it's, it's July 3rd. We would normally talk about freedom, and I thank men for going and fighting for me. But Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32 to the disciples who believed, who trusted him, you are my disciples indeed if you abide in the truth and the truth will set you free. You want to be free or you want to keep fighting physical battles? Look at it. It's John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus said to those disciples who believe, if you abide in my word, not in the Constitution, not in the laws of the land, not in, you fill in the blank. But if we abide in his logos, his gospel, his truth, his example, you are my disciples, my learners, my followers, indeed. There's the evidence. There's the testimony from Jesus. And what he said is free is free indeed. You don't have to be back in bondage. You don't have to listen to the lies. You don't have to be deceived. Listen, who are you? If somebody comes up today and says to you, who are you? Well, you know, I went to school for four years and my career now is in. Uh, no, who are you? Well, I'm an American. Who are you? Listen to me. This is all idolatry. When everything else comes up before, I'm a child of God. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name. Who are you? 
Listen, this is Bible 101, and yet in culturanity, we can't answer anybody. I'm not being mean. I'm saying we need to wake up. We're as apostate as the nation of Israel was, and they killed Jesus. So what are we doing to the Word of God, to the Logos, to the, to the Word that became flesh and pitched His tent among us? What are we doing with it? Are we making Jesus alive? Are we giving testimony and witness? Are we telling others that they need to wake up, stand up, and don't shut up? But cry out in the wilderness. This is a wilderness. Who are you? Do you know your identity? Positionally, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Anybody go get crucified? Anybody die? It's a positional statement. Do you know your position? Do you know who you are in Christ? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I'm a voice now. It's no longer I who live. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See that whole testimony? It's all by faith. It's not about Paul. It's about him giving testimony. But it's a positional statement because none of us have been crucified. Somehow it happened spiritually. We went back and we died with him. If we really believe the Spirit does that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And they're becoming new. Yes, positionally, that's a perfect statement. But practically, are you perfect and new? Are you fresh? Is everything going right in your life? Have you reached the finish line? Have you made it there yet? No, it's happening right now as you're being sanctified. As you make a mistake, as you sin and blow it, as you do whatever it is you do that keeps getting you caught up in the flesh and chasing the rabbit trails down here instead of telling people about Jesus, that's part of your sanctification. Because if you will come and confess it, 1 John 1, 9, agree with God, say the same thing that God says, this is sin, then he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So that's part of the washing and the cleansing. But don't get caught up in being washed and cleansed and keep going over and over and over and over in that same rut till you get stuck in it and you can't get out of it. That's back into bondage. We're supposed to be going onward and upward in Christ Jesus, not looking behind but pressing on. Who are you? It's a big question. What if somebody comes today and says, who are you? How will you answer? How will you give a defense to the hope that is within you? Will your eyes talk about all your fleshly honoring of yourself and what you've done in pride and vanity? Or will it point to Jesus as John? Because this is a great, a great opportunity to be tempted to say, well, you know what? My, my dad was Zacharias. He was a Levite. His name means God remembers. My mom, she was from Aaron's tribe. Her name means his oath. And God remembers his oath, and he sent me God's grace. If you remember Luke 1, that's what that means. My dad met with an angel. I'm going to write a new book now about that, and I'm going to see how much I can get on the market and how much I can get as I make the circuit through all the synagogues. This is a great chance for John the baptizer, to become famous instead of point to the famous one. 
when somebody says, who are you? What will you talk about? Who will you give testimony of? What will be the cross-examination on the stand in your life? Look what he answers, verse 20. I think I've beat that long enough. This is the first day. There's going to be three days of testimony. I understand that. I went through a three-day trial for being a heathen, not for being the forerunner. But this makes sense to me more than it might to you if you've never been in a courtroom. He confessed. Uh-oh. Think about a courtroom when you confess. We've got this indictment against you. It says here that according to Indiana Code 3535-1-2-4, they honor about the certain day. He confessed. He said, I did it. He confessed. I agree. But he's not agreeing with mankind. He's agreeing with God. He's not agreeing with mankind and their made-up culturanity. He's agreeing with God. Look at what it says. You ever confessed anything? I confess and... He confessed and did not deny. He didn't contradict it. He didn't reject it. He didn't refuse it. That's what deny means. But confess, I am not the Christ. See, they're looking for a Christ. People everywhere are looking for a Savior. That's why I would counsel you, never men counsel women. Never women counsel men. They're looking for a Savior. Never pastor become a rock star pastor. They're looking for a Savior. They love to stop at men. They never want to get to Christ. And if you take the position of Christ instead of the one who's given the grace of God, the evidence of God pointing to Jesus, then they'll stop at you. They won't go any further. You're enough. They'll call you every time they want help instead of crying out to God. They'll come to you every time they need money or something paid instead of crying out to God and making changes in life to get right. Listen, the whole nation is looking for the Messiah. And so now they're thinking that John is him. All the people are being drawn to him. He's baptizing for identification. But he clearly says, this is the moment that matters in life. You want to talk about football? You want to talk about something else? Or you want to talk about Jesus? This is the, matter, this is the time that matters. When somebody comes and they want to know who you are, what comes out of the abundance of your heart is who you are. And it doesn't show that you get kicked out of heaven and go to hell, but it shows you the evidence of what's in your heart. So that you can say, Lord, I want to talk about you. Lord, I want to be a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Lord, I want to know my calling. I want to know my gifts and talents and abilities. I don't want to keep answering, who am I, wrong. I don't want to keep answering that question, who are you, wrong, by talking about everything else and never witnessing for Christ. The word confess there, if you remember, um, Homologeo, same word in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin. But it's also the same word that is in Romans 10, 9, and 10, this marriage ceremony. See, every bit of this is about a marriage. Every bit of it is about a marriage. Our kinsman redeemer came down and became a man so that he could marry us and redeem us and give us our inheritance back as children of God. 
we lost it all in the first Adam, and now we have a second Adam that comes down, and if we believe in him and trust in him, we can marry back into the family of God and get the inheritance back. He makes us joint heirs with him. We get everything back, so now I have my position back when I believe. But I still have the old sin nature that I'm toting around with me that I practically need to decide daily, no, no, no. That way is the world's way. That way is the fleshly way. That way is political way. And you say no to yourself and get focused back on the spiritual realm in everything. Everything. Because it's all about the Spirit of God. Listen, it's all about a marriage. Romans 10, 9, and 10. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved, delivered from the sin nature. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Listen to me. They work in tandem. They're working together. There's the heart and the mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The word also means to profess. Oh, so if I confess, I'm supposed to automatically profess. Well, what am I supposed to be professing? Openly declaring is what professing means in the 1828 uh, Webster's Dictionary. Don't look at new dictionaries. They've been attacking the word since the beginning. You look at new definitions, you probably won't get that for profession. It'll probably be short for professional. Uh, One who has a PhD or permanent head damage. You can take it anywhere after you get to professional. Now it becomes a professional. But professing is the same as confessing. You confess, you agree with God. It's a marriage ceremony. It means two people saying the same thing at the same time in the same place. We're getting ready to do renewal of vows. You both are going to say the same thing in the same place at the same time in the eyes of God. What are you going to say? Romans 10, 9, and 10, you say that you believe Jesus is Lord, kurios, supreme in authority, and you believe that God raised him from the dead. Now, when you both agree with those same set of facts, the Spirit of God baptizes you into the body of Christ, and you become the bride of Christ. And now he's inside beginning to wash and cleanse you. It's a wedding ceremony where you both agree to do the same thing. Yet so often in marriage we see it's horrible in our culture today, but it's supposed to be a picture of Christ in the church. And we see all this divorce. We see all this separation. Well, you didn't do what I wanted to do. So now what do we do with Christ when he doesn't do what we want to do? Well, what did they do when he was on earth? One week they're yelling, Hosanna, save now. The next week they're saying, crucify him. He didn't do what we wanted him to do. What kind of a marriage is that? When your spouse doesn't take care of you like a mommy, when your spouse doesn't do exactly what you want them to do, you divorce them, you get rid of them. See, that's what we've done in thought. Listen to me. Apostasy is divorcing faith. Will I even find faith when I come? Apostasy is walking away and making up your own religion because you don't want to obey what God says and do the changes that make it work. You don't want to bow down. Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. Listen, that's apostasy. It's the same as divorce. It's why God divorced the nation of Israel. They continue, but you know, see how long-suffering he was? 400 years, long-suffering. He's a long-suffering God. I'm so glad because now we have salvation, or we should have salvation. He confessed. Same word, Romans 10, 9, and 10. 
He confessed. What do you confess? means acknowledge it means to promise in certain places in the bible i am not the christ do you know who you are in christ do you know that you're not the christ do you listen it's important that we understand that we know we are not the salvatore we are those that are saved we are those that have been given salvation, delivered from the sin nature, and we're supposed to become witnesses of one who does save everybody who will believe in him. Very important to know because so many ministries, so many people, they want to become the Savior. And they go beyond. They come up with ways to put pillows underneath people's heads. They come up with ways, let's feed the poor. I'm not being mean. I'm just saying that that's not handing them Christ. When you take care of physical needs, you actually help people to stand up underneath their own strength and their own pride and never hit bottom. So you have to have great discernment and wisdom in what you're supposed to be doing as a ministry or you will hinder somebody from ever coming to Christ. So we have to know who are you, but you also have to know who you are not and what your lane is and what you should not be doing. Very important to know what you know and what you don't want to know because there's a lot of liars out there and it's easy to get involved. Man, that church, man, they're doing, could you see how many people they got? It's got nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. Does it line up with the Word of God? And if you don't know the Word of God, you have no idea. You get caught up warming your hands at a campfire at a really nice big church with really nice ministries and you think that that is salvation when it's really the flesh. And I'm not picking on God's bride. I'm not picking on God's church. I'm telling you, you need to know the truth of God's word or you will follow a lie. You'll follow culturality because it looks good. It looks good. Anybody can build a church with money. Anybody. But Jesus, Jesus didn't have any money. He said, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Although he had all the power of the universe in him, although he had come from God and was going back to God, although he was the creator of all the universe, he wasn't worried about those material things. He was worried about being a voice that proclaimed the kingdom of God perfectly and obeyed God. And he's our example of what we should be focused on. And now we see John in the courtroom giving evidence, giving testimony, confessing, I am not the Christ. Christ is Messiah, the Mashiach of God, the anointed. So when that happens, what, what happens then? Wait a minute, we didn't get the answer we wanted. If this was the Christ, we're just going to go ahead and enthrone him. Don't miss that. Don't miss that because that's what they tried to do with Jesus even. They tried to enthrone him. And his kingdom's not of this world. If his kingdom was of this world, what would happen? My servants would fight. Uh-oh, his kingdom's not of this world. Why would we be caught fighting in the flesh if his kingdom is not of this world? It's a deception to get us moved away from what we're called to do, and that is the ministry of reconciliation of souls. It's the great deception of the last days because he says that even the elect would be deceived if possible. Listen to me, if possible. Even the elect are going to get caught up in this 
if it's possible to deceive an elect person. Because I think if you're actually the elect, if you've been chosen, you will be in the word of God. You'll be in the face of God. You'll be in the word, prayer, and fellowship. You will be doing the work of the ministry. And you won't get caught up in this physical battle that's going on on our planet right now. So there's follow-up questions they ask him. You know what? I don't want to get to the follow-up yet. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you're reading through the Bible with us, you read this a couple days ago. I want to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I want to go ahead and uh, work this in there. Because we're not supposed to fight anymore. Listen to me. The victory is wrought on the cross. We don't fight for victory. We stand in the victory of Christ. Listen to me. Because there's no battle anymore. There's no battle anymore. The battle's over. Understanding your position and your identity is what you need to do. Learn who you are and stand in it. Learn your lane and run in it. There's no more battle. But you do have three enemies. You have the flesh, the world, and Satan. That's your three enemies. Now what's going on? Jehoshaphat is on the throne. In Judah, Jehoshaphat was a great king for 25 years, then he got deceived. Jehoshaphat was a great king for 25 years, then he got deceived. And what did he think he could do? He thought he could get out of his lane and go make peace with the northern tribes. And what does it do? It destroys the entire nation. Judah was being separated by God. And what happens when Jehoshaphat goes to make peace? His son, Joram, marries Jezebel and Ahab's daughter and brings all the apostasy into the kingdom that was being separated, Judah, the tribe that was being separated by God. You see, and we're supposed to be a voice crying in the wilderness, not marrying into the world, not trying to make peace with the world, not trying to get involved in the fleshly battle. And so three enemies come up against Second Chronicles chapter 20, three enemies, just like us, flesh, the world, and Satan, they're enemies, but the only way they can defeat you is lie to you, and then you get involved in something you're not supposed to be involved in. You don't know who you are. You don't know who you're not. You don't know your position and what practically is going on. And so three enemies come up against them, and let's just read it. It happened after this that the people of Moab, uh, the incestuous relationship with Lot and his daughters, and the people of Ammon, Ammon means inbred, and the others with them, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat actually means Jehovah has judged. That's what Jehoshaphat means. When you say jumping Jehoshaphat, oh, I thought of that. I'm sorry. God is judged. That's true. Jumping Jehoshaphat. It's already been judged on the cross. All you have to do is receive that victory and stand in it and hand out the spoils. You don't have to do anything else. Leave the rest to God. Verse 2, Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is in Gedi. Now listen, because this is very important. And Jehoshaphat feared. Fear is what the devil uses. And then what did he do, Greg? He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast to all Judah. Now listen to me. As soon as the world does that, you might be able to join them. If they are afraid and they seek the Lord and they proclaim a fast on national TV, 
Listen, you might be able to join them and say, okay, maybe we're going to get this thing right. Notice where you go in fear. He got this right. Jehoshaphat was a good king at this time. He's going to go shipwrecked, though. Listen to me. When you're afraid because of COVID, when you're afraid because gas is $5, when you're afraid because it's $14 for a pack of cheese, when you're afraid because the shelves are empty. Yes, I am speaking facetiously in some ways, but it's coming to a grocery store near you. How many famines were in the Bible? Seven? Famines happen. Whether man makes them, which this one is man-made, or whether they happen because of drought, because Elijah prayed. And it didn't rain for seven years. We're talking about Elijah in a minute. So anyway, where do you go with your fear? Look where he went. He set himself to seek the Lord. Prayer. This is where John the baptizer has been, is in prayer. He's been in the wilderness with God. And then as king, he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. They went to the Lord. That's what people of God do. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Three times, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Not location, location, location. The three important things is the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then, jumping Jehoshaphat, stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. Remember, chapter 1, we hear about Solomon building this temple, new temple, and then God blessed it. So what's he going to do? He's going to rehearse the testimony, the evidence the character of God. Watch this, verse 6. And said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven and do you not rule over the kingdom of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, all power and might. You know, the devil is mighty, but God is almighty. So that no one is able to withstand you. Look at his testimony. This is, this is what you should know, that you serve a God. This is his testimony. This is who he is. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. You should seek him in problem. That's what they're for. Because he sent his word to heal the land, as we rehearse in our first lesson of this book, Psalms 107.20. Verse 7, are you not our God, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to your descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? How long is forever? Abraham's his friend forever. We're adopted into the, uh, to Abraham. And they dwell in it. And have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, your character, your nature, your will. Saying, if disaster comes upon us, and certainly with three enemies coming, sword, judgment, pestilence, and famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple. Is God's name in your temple? See, now we're the temple. Remember we rehearsed this first lesson. God dwelt in a tent, and then Solomon built a tabernacle. The father was going to do it. David was going to build a tabernacle, wasn't he? We talked about this last week. And God said, no, there's blood on your hands. 
So what did the father do? He got mad. He kicked the dirt, and he said, I don't get to do that, so I'm going home. I'm not going to be part of this. No, he spent the rest of his life gathering the materials for his son to build it. He still had the same plan. He still had the same heart. Just because God said, that's not your lane, doesn't mean you don't have the same heart to build God a sanctuary. You build God a sanctuary in your heart, a place to dwell. Now because Jesus come first and dwelt among us, He now sent his spirit back to dwell in all of us, to build a sanctuary. Listen to me. They built this. They put his name. Whose name is in you? Do you know your position? And cry out to you in our affliction, you will hear and save. You will hear and deliver. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. See, God could destroy the earth. He could destroy Satan. He could destroy you completely. That's the three enemies. Listen, your flesh, the world, and Satan. He could just destroy them. But then the practical walk of training and free will of deciding and the confessing when you mess up would not exist to burn out the dross with his consuming fire to make you like your position that you've already received in Christ. Was that too deep? I thought I explained it pretty good there. That's why trials come. That's why pain comes. That's why the enemy attacks is so you will seek the Lord. And sometimes, yes, fast. Yeah, fast. You seek him real fast, but you also fast food. Not McDonald's. You fast food. Sorry. See, they steal words and you don't know what you're saying. You abstain from eating so you can seek the Lord and find out his wisdom on what's going on with the enemy attacking. See, the enemy is attacking in a great way right now, and the church is being deceived into this earthly battle everywhere. Verse 10, And now here are these people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Now listen to me, a couple things here. They're still trying to throw Israel out of the land. They're still trying to take the land every day from them. And all of our presidents that people seem to think are really nice, they always talk Israel into giving away the land, and God hates that. But the other thing is, is you and I have become married to our kinsman redeemer we have received salvation we've gotten our inheritance back and the enemy wants to come and rob and steal and destroy that from you he wants to take your position where you walk around in shame and guilt and fear and you don't do what you should be doing because you don't understand what's going on do you know who you are and who you are not is it because of the scriptures or is it because of what the world has told you you are listen we are not victims We're overwhelmingly more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he conquered. He defeated the works of the devil. He came and shone his light into the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome him. That's our position. That's what John wants us to know through the grace of God, by the faith of God. We shouldn't be bowing down and cowing down and running. We shouldn't be following them. We should be leading them because we have the light in us. And we're given evidence and testimony of that light. 
Here comes the enemy, three of them attacking. Jehoshaphat seeks the Lord. He gives praise and glory. He, show, he says, I know who you are. I know who I am. I know what's going on. And they're trying to steal the inheritance from me. Verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against the great multitude that is coming against us. What are you going to do when the shelves are enemy? You got any power over that? What are you going to do that they're fighting a false war? What are you going to do that they're having all these? What are you going to do? You don't have any power over this, but you can pray. You can find out what's going on. You can seek the truth. You can live for God. That's what he says. We have no power over this that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Eyes, countenance, favor, face. We seek the Lord. Are you seeking the Lord? These things are made so that you would pray. They're designed so that you would pray. And if you don't, Spend time with the Lord and in the word and prayer and fellowship. If you don't find out the truth, you'll follow the lie. You'll be caught in a physical battle and wear you out. Now, all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Where are you standing at? Where are you standing at? With the Democrats, with the Republicans? No, 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 I'm an independent. Are you standing with the Lord? That's the question. Who are you? Are you a child of God? Then stand with the Lord. Stand with the Lord because they both can be wrong and they are almost 100% of the time, but God is never wrong. Stand with the Lord and you'll be standing on the right place, on the right side. Where are you standing at? Where's your eyes at? Who are you? Who are you not? Verse 14, then the spirit of the Lord. Listen, when you position yourself properly, then the Spirit can come. When you, You're grieving the Spirit if you're standing in the wrong place, chasing the wrong thing, looking in the wrong, seeking the wrong thing. But now in verse 14, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of, God remembers, Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mattaniah. See this entire thing? A Levite of the sons of Asaph. Tells everything about him in the midst of the assembly. Right there in the assembly where everybody's gathered, the Spirit comes upon them. And he said, listen, all you of Judah, those who praise, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem teaching peace, and you king jumping Jehoshaphat, God is judged. Thus says the Lord to you. Here's the voice of God. This is what you want to hear. You can only get it from the Spirit of God. Do not be afraid. Doesn't that sound just like Jesus? Do not be afraid. Nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Listen, we don't have a battle. The battle's won. The victory's over. Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is finished. The battle's not yours. You could not defeat it anyway. It's Jesus who overcome darkness. All we do is tell people as a voice in the wilderness. Tomorrow, go down against them. In other words, stand. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Do you know your position? Do you know who you are? Do you know your identity? Do you know who you are or not? Do you know where you're supposed to be? And what do you do after you position yourself? You stand still 
and see the salvation, the deliverance of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Listen, do you know the Lord is with you? If you have not the Spirit of God, you're not God's. But if you have the Spirit of God, the Lord is with you. And then what happened? Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Now listen to me, because this is very important. The prophet, by the Spirit of God, spoke the Word of God. The people believed God, and they worshiped. Today, you can say about anything you want, and since people don't know the truth of God, they don't understand the Spirit of God, they don't know their identity of God, because they don't know the Logos of God, the Word of God that come and took flesh, They don't know which voice to listen to, so we have the days of judges where everybody just does what's right in their own eyes. And they say, well, that's Greg's opinion. That's his opinion. That's that pastor's opinion. And they keep following their own understanding, their own ways, instead of looking to find out the way of the Lord. Verse 19, Then... The Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness, that's where John was crying out, of Tekeo. And they went out, as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Look what he says. Be strong and fight valiantly, men. Go after them. They're a bunch of liars. No, he said, believe. Trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord, your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets. Believe his word. The word came by the prophets in the Old Testament. In these last days, he's spoken to his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, 1, in past time, divers manners, God spoke to the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to his son, who he made heir of all things. And without him, nothing was made that was made. He come to earth and took flesh. We learn it in John. And you shall prosper. You want prosperity? It's not about money. Everything down here that you think is prosperous is building materials in heaven. What did Joshua say? Joshua, Hebrew for Jesus, Yeshua, the salvation of the Lord. He said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, so you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Then you shall be prosperous. Then you shall be of good success. Same theme all the way through the Bible, all 66 books. Never changes. They disobeyed in the garden, and everything about salvation is coming back to learn to obey. The heart should be turned toward God. So he says, verse 21, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. Something that we don't do enough. As they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. See, we were saved by mercy. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 5, and 6. And because of his mercy, he provided grace. You're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. 
Now, when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, who did? The Lord, who did? Listen, you can't see the spiritual realm, but we're spiritual people fighting in a spiritual war. So when they began to just stand and sing and praise God, worship God in spirit and truth, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Everything has been defeated at the cross. Just understand your position and your place and your identity. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. So they fought against each other. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. And you can see that in the chaos in the world, that they fight against each other. They devour each other because that's what the enemy does. So when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they're not even there yet. When they came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were the dead bodies fallen to the earth. No one had escaped. Death culture. No one escapes. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables. Here's the testimony. Here's the witness on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka for they were ble- excuse me for there they blessed the lord giving praise giving thanks therefore the name of the place was called the valley of Bar- baraka or literally blessing until this day then they returned every man of judah and jerusalem with jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to jerusalem with joy for the lord had made them rejoice over their enemies so they came to jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the lord and the fear of god was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Now that's the same way it was when they came out of Egypt. It's the same way it's supposed to be. We need to get back to our first love and worship and praise him and stand in our position and learn it. It would be great if it just ended like that, but watch, that's the reason I'm reading the rest of it, and I'm talking real fast. 31, so Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azabah, and the daughter of Shilihai. And he walked in the ways of his father Asa and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Nevertheless, epitaph, the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. Listen, Jehoshaphat, God, as judge, was doing what he was supposed to do, except he didn't take down the high places because he was afraid the people would get mad at him and get rid of him. So he allowed them to keep worshiping. And that's what goes on in a lot of churches. Oh, I don't want to teach that. We're just going to give them a little fluff on Sunday morning. And if they come around at a Bible study, we'll teach them the real stuff. We're just going to give them a little fluff because if we teach that, they'll never come back. You can't build a church teaching truth and tearing down high places and speaking against the the enemy. You can't do that. You just can't build a church that way. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, 
first and last. Indeed, they are written in the book of Jehu, the son of Hananiah, which is mentioned in the book of the kings of Israel. After this, here comes the testimony I was telling you about. Because, see, it'd be nice if it ended this way and it was great and nothing else happened to Jehoshaphat, jumping Jehoshaphat. We're in Second Chronicles twenty thirty-five. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel. Listen to me. Who acted very wickedly. See, they're completely apostate in the northern tribes. And they're following Jezebel and Ahab. And he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made the ships of Izangeber. But Eleazar, the son of Dodavah of Merashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat. See, he was told by the word of God, by a prophet, do not ally yourself. Do not try to make peace. Do not go out in the flesh and fight this battle. Do not join the rest of the apostate church that are fighting for America instead of fighting for souls. Listen, if you fight for souls and souls are one and America becomes great again, that's great. But when you get the cart before the horse and you leave God out, you have a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. You're doing nothing but religion. You're being deceived. That's what Jehoshaphat, he ends up dying after that great victory where he stood and prayed. So he was told by the word of God, Marasha, the prophet, because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. And I believe that lines up with the Bema Seat judgment where everything that was done that was good gets burned up because it was done in the flesh and it was not done according to God. Listen, there's no battle to fight. So it's hard to sing the battle belongs to you, Lord. When there's none. The victory belongs to you, Lord. It's over. It's already victorious. We are conquerors. We need to know our position in the church today. This is not a game. This is the souls of mankind. And yet we still play games in the church. The very people that say, oh, I'm a child of God and I have the grace of God, but I don't have to learn the word of God. I don't have to live for God. I'm not really a witness for God. We're just Christians in a band. We're not really witnessing to God. So we can sing about any kind of fluff or duff or, or trash that we want to. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Were you making a name for yourself? Trying to honor yourself and honor others instead of lifting up Christ? See, we're here to be a voice in the wilderness, not to make a name for ourselves, but to lift up the famous one. So now we're back in John, cross-examination, John 1, 21, because he said, I am not the Christ, when he had this great chance to do whatever he wanted, to join the northern tribes as Jehoshaphat did, and it ended in death, destruction. His works were burned up. So they ask him again, what then, are you Elijah? Elias is what it is in the King James, means the, the Lord is God. He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Well, Malachi, you can go read it later. I'd actually encourage you to read the last chapter of the Old Testament. I'm not going to read it for you. I'd love to read it for you. I wanted to go read it for you. Malachi or Malachi 3.1 says, I'll send my messenger, John the Baptist. Um, 316 from all the way through four, you'll see the exact same thing that's going on in the world today. Exactly what is happening in Malachi or Malachi. If you're Latin or if you're uh, uh, um, Italian, it's Malachi. What my pastor used to say anyway. 
So that's uh, what he's talking about because they believe they're looking for the Messiah that Elijah would come first. And if you remember, the Spirit of God or the angel of God announced that that's who John would be. In 117, I think it is, of Luke, that he would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the just back to the wisdom of God. Those that are justified back to the wisdom of God. Are we living according to the wisdom of God? Who are we in Christ? Very important question to answer, people. If not, you'll be in fear against this world and against what's going on in the world instead of trusting God. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Listen, really, really short, really curt, cross-examination from the enemy, testimony. Talking about Deuteronomy 8.15 when Moses was getting ready to go up and die on the hill. And, and he said, God will raise up a prophet like me from your brethren. And everybody thought it was Joshua, which Joshua is a type because he's, Jesus is the Hebrew. Joshua is the Hebrew for Jesus. And it means the Lord is salvation. But it was referring to down the corridors of time when Jesus would come. He's actually the prophet, but they didn't understand it. He is the Logos. He is the one where the word of God would come from to perfectly help us understand what salvation is about so he says no i'm not that prophet even though they know that he's supposed to come then they said to them who are you listen they're getting frustrated they've been sent they got to give an answer do you understand that we've been sent the word is sent apostello one sent forth on mission with god separated by god sent to go, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We've been sent. These people understood. They've been sent by a re religious apostate authority, and they want an answer. They don't want to go back to the people who sent them and not have an answer. So they're getting a little frustrated with John the baptizer. And they said, who are you that we may give a defense, a answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? Ooh, here's another question for us, guys. Who are you? Who are you not? What do you say about yourself? Here's a good one. Well, I... I, I, I never mentioned that, did I? I in the Greek is ego. It means ease God out when you have that ego and you don't humble yourself on the side of the Lord so he can lift you up. See, that's exactly what John is, the grace of God is modeling for us. He's humbling himself. He's not trying to make a name for himself. And he's going to quote what? Scripture. I'm telling you, I just listened to some guys talk about the Bible or talk about the culture and talk about the fight, and they're talking about fleshly, earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. They're not quoting Scripture. And once again, for the third time, Scripture is the only thing that can penetrate a hard heart and bring salvation to a soul. And they're talking about all this intellectual, psychological, sociological wrangling, and you join a side and you leave God out. And you end up with a form of godliness which denies the power thereof. That's the word of God, the logos of God, led by the spirit of God. So when John's asked a question and he gives an answer, where does he get it from? From scripture. Now, originally, it's Isaiah 40, verse 3. 
originally that was referring to the time when they would be coming back from captivity where God had sent them to punish them. They're coming back from Babylonian captivity. And God said, there's a voice of one, make straight the way of the Lord. This is what you would do when a king was coming. When there was a big delegation coming, when there's going to be a triumphal parade, you would send people out to clear the road. And that's what the grace of God does that comes from you and I into people's lives is we go and clear the path so they can clearly see who Jesus is. But if we don't know who we are, if we don't know our identity, if we don't know what the word of God says, how do we clear somebody's path and make places straight that need to be there? That that hole needs to be there. Leave that there, the Lord would say, so that they step in it and they realize they need Jesus now and they cry out to God. Well, wait a minute, I'm going to fill that hole in. I'm not going to let my child fall in that hole. That's too dangerous. Well, God allows things to happen so that they will realize their utter independence is bad. Their freedom is bad. Their life is wrong, separated from God. And they will cry out and they will seek the Lord when things go on. So we're there as the grace of God to point them to the place of God. We're not there to save them. We're there to tell them who can save them. And that's what John is. He's a voice. Notice, he didn't even say he's a person. He didn't say he's a PhD. He didn't say, I've been out in the wilderness. He didn't say anything about himself except a voice. Remember voice? You guys remember that? This is voice. Phone. A phone is voice in the Bible. That's where this comes from. Phone. This is the devil's voice. I'm not against electronics. I'm telling you, if you're not careful, all you're going to do is be pushed into their box to believe what they say. When they tell you to jump, you jump. And if you don't listen, what happens? Only those necessary, only what what they call them, the people that got to go to work? Essential. You don't listen to them. You're not essential. You're wasting food. You're taking up space. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? But look how they kill babies. Look how they kill older people. Look how they don't care because they won't take care of themselves. And we have to take care of you. So you are not essential. You are not important. When you're looking at death culture as opposed to God's culture of life, you get rid of that which is just a sucker branch. All it does is take, take, take. Do you know who you are? Do you know where you're living at? Do you know this is not our home? That, that, that we're spirits that have a body right now, but this body, this earthly tent is going to die. It's meant to die. Do you know your position in Christ? Are you too concerned with chasing everything down here that you won't spend time in the word, prayer, and fellowship? Listen, I'm preaching to myself. I worked overtime four days this week, and it's hard to read the Bible when you're doing that and then driving 45 minutes both ways. It's hard to find time with the Lord. But it doesn't change the message. I might change my job, but I'm not going to change the message. So he says, verse 23, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, if we're giving people counsel and answers from any place other than the scripture, we're doing them a disservice. We're not making their path straight. People need to hear scripture. 
You're like, well, yeah, but that just, man, when you tell them the truth of the scriptures, they just lose all hope. No, they gain hope. When you tell them of the love of God, that one died for their sins, and they don't have to live in shame. They don't have to live in guilt. They don't have to live in everything that they're living in, but they can have rest and peace in Christ Jesus our Lord if they would just confess him and then profess him. And I believe it's impossible to confess him unless you profess him. They go to, they're tandem. They go hand in hand. If you confess Jesus and the Spirit of God comes in and dwells in your heart, you're going to profess Jesus to others because you cannot meet the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, the Logos, the living Word of God, and not want to tell somebody about it. It's a fire in your bosom that has to get out. That's not for preachers. We're all called to be witnesses of our faith. It actually says that just before the Spirit came down in Acts chapter 1-8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to do what? To be a martyr, to be a witness for me throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and all of Samaria. Why do we receive the Spirit? To be a witness of the grace of God, to be a voice in the wilderness. Who cries out and makes straight the way of the Lord. Now, those who were sent were from the Pharisees. So now we know exactly who was sent. Um, they needed to give an answer. Pharisees, but they think most of them got saved after the resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? See, so now they got more questions. This is cross-examination in this grand courtroom that they're doing with this one witness who is sold out to God. He's been spending time with God. And they're like, this is confusing us. Why would you be baptizing people? Because baptism was water baptism, obviously, that, that, that identified you with a certain sect or a group of people and you were baptized into, but he wasn't baptizing them into John. He was baptizing them for repentance, if you remember. So his defense was, his answer was, uh, verse 26, John answered them saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Now he might have been standing right there. Think about this week because we're, we're, we're looking at words but there was a whole crowd on the bank of the water and John's out there baptizing and these people come, we want to know who you are. And they, and they start getting crazy and they're interrupting the whole meeting. And, and he, and, and he might've been looking right at Jesus when he said, there's one standing among you. Now, I don't know that. I'm just saying that's, that's a thought because Jesus was keeping an eye on things and he was waiting for when he would be baptized, which is going to be on the next day, I believe. Um, but John was baptizing with water. A baptism of saying, you guys are apostate. You've walked away from God. You need to change your mind and turn back to God. See, because you can change your mind. We covered this and go to something else. But when you repent, you have to turn back to God. It's turning back to God. It's not just quit drinking and, and stop going to the bar and come home at night. It's turning to God and begin to do what God says to do because stopping drinking is not enough for you to be saved in your eternal soul and go to heaven. Just to stop doing something is not repentance, not godly repentance. 
So here, here, here they are. And see, Jesus is going to baptize us, what? With the Holy Spirit and fire. John's baptizing with water. Change your mind. It's time to change your mind. The whole nation's in a mess. Change your mind. Come back to God. And then here comes Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, you're baptized spiritually into the body of Christ. And then fire starts. Oh, yeah, fire. He's a consuming fire. And if you begin to listen, you have to start saying, oh, I can't do that anymore, can I? I have to turn to God and say, what do I do? And he begins to burn out the dross and purify you and wash you and cleanse you through the washing of the water with the word. And he's preparing you as a bride that's spotless and clean without wrinkle or any such thing to present you to himself. But that's a fire, consuming fire. And if you don't do that, if you haven't done that, all your works can be burned up at the Bema seat or you get cast into hell and you're totally engulfed in flames where the worm never dies, the fire is never quenched. That's the finality. If you don't believe in Jesus, you have nothing but fire for eternity. But right now, he can be a loving, consuming fire that's washing and cleansing and burning out the things that are not good or that can be your future. I mean, light and fire is the same word in the Bible here. He shined his light, he shined his fire. Same word. So John, in humility, says, there's one standing among you who I'm not even worthy to unloose his sandal strap, which the lowest servant in the house, they didn't have sanitation departments. They didn't have shoes like we have today. They walked everywhere in dirt and filth. And the first thing you would do in a house is the lowest servant in the house. You see it in John 13 when Jesus washes their feet. He went from heaven down to the lowest servant's position. The lowest servant in the house would wash the feet of guests when they would come. We're coming back into the house of God. And John sees his place, who I am and who I am not. I am not the Christ. I have been saved by grace. And I'm not even worthy to unloose. It's only by grace that we've been saved. We're not worthy to unloose his sandal and wash his feet. But he makes us worthy in his blood. He died for us. He gives us his righteousness. And now we're worthy to go and be servants to others and bring them the grace of God. Bring them the truth of God. Bring them the witness of what God has done and is doing and is going to do on this planet and for eternity. But he takes that place of humility. Because see, think about it. He's a Levite and he's from the line of Aaron. That was a respected place to live. But he says, I'm not worthy to even loose his sandal to begin to wash his feet. And then he tells us the testimony that these things were done in Bethbara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know who you are not? Do you know your identity? See, because you'll follow a lie if you don't know who you are in Christ. You'll be in the wrong lane doing good works if you don't know who you're not in Christ. 
Do you know that we're all called to be witnesses and a voice? One who would speak the word of God to others and make straight their way so they can get to Jesus? That's what we're called to do. To be a light. To give truth. To live truth. That's the first day of testimony. Next week, we'll have another day of testimony. Maybe two days. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that we would allow your spirit to live through us and give witness of you and your great salvation. That we would not be ashamed of the gospel, but we would be a voice in the wilderness cry and make straight the way of the Lord. Lord, that you give us a desire to be in the word, prayer, and fellowship and to seek your face in fear when we're afraid, when there's trials and troubles, that we would uh, do all things with prayer and supplication. Lord, wake us up at the heart of our Christian walk and help us not to walk in the flesh, but to live in the spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Pour out your spirit upon us. Have your way with us. Protect the word that we have received today in our heart and allow it to grow some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Help us to go and obey and be the people you've called by your name. Give us a voice, Lord, that we would profess out loud your truth to a dead and dying world. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I